Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape the future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right, on this episode, we're going to learn how one agency got a 5.8 ROAS, almost triple the industry average, or double the, or triple the industry average, I guess, two times. So yeah, um, the, the successful Facebook ads that they're using right now that a lot of people aren't using... Uh, and how they're using broad ads to really su- to gain success, the importance of creative, uh, how much how they grew this revenue two hundred percent, and the key to spending a month before even putting ads out. Additionally, we're talking about how Jesse moved twelve hours away, kept her business running, and the trends that she's seeing right now. Jesse, thanks so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Great to be here. And thank you all for joining us. We're going to get started, but don't forget this is brought to you by videocasestory.com. One of the best pieces of creative, one of the best ways to come up with those hooks is through your customer stories. Go to videocasestory.com to help get help collecting, crafting, and delivering those customer stories. All right, let's get started. And uh, so today we're going to talk about a few different stories. The first one we get started is one of your agency success stories. So I'll let you take it away. Sure thing, yeah. So uh, Webtopia specializes in helping sustainable product brands or purpose-driven product brands to uh, transform themselves into highly successful e-commerce businesses by lighting a fire under their digital advertising. So the story I've got for you guys today is a story of a a sustainable fashion brand, a premium fashion brand that we work with. We work with a lot of of fashion brands of this style uh, that we work with and we took over their Facebook ads about, sorry, meta ads as I should be saying, so Facebook and Instagram ads. I'm so stuck in that habit. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, I'm surprised you say it because you said it before and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot we're calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm training myself. I'm training myself. Yeah, so we took over their ads around about three months ago um, and we really like revamped the whole system of, of, of advertising for them. They had, um, there was a lot of mistakes in their account. They, uh, they the, the retargeting wasn't set up properly. They weren't even trying Dabber, which is one of the most effective uh, uh, formats in Facebook ads that's that we're finding today. So Dabber is dynamic ads for broad audiences, D-A-B-A. So it's when you're actually running product ads similar to what we would normally have used in the past for retargeting. You know, they're the ads that are in a carousel and you scroll through and you can kind of see the product details and the price and everything. They're real, real shopping orientated ads. So we, we run a lot of these for our clients actually top of funnel to fully broad audiences because what this allows the algorithm to do is find people that are shopping right now for these types of products. So if Facebook or Meta knows that someone's shopping, for instance, for it's the wedding season and they're shopping for dresses to wear to weddings, they're in that mode of buying that type of product at the moment because they're tracking everything that we're doing. So by running Dabber ads, we can actually reach people that we've never reached before, cold audiences but allowing the algorithm to actually find those people that are shopping right now for those things. So for most of our uh, kind of 
clients that have a large catalogue of products, so whether it's home decor or fashion or jewellery, where there's like a large catalogue of products versus like a product brand that only has one or two products, these ads work amazing. Uh, because they really harness the power of the algorithm and running things to broad at the moment is really important too because as we know a year ago the data supply to Facebook got cut off by iOS 14 and all that carnage so by giving broad audiences we're giving as much data as possible back to the algorithm and allowing it to optimize based on that so we've got accounts not this one in particular but we've got accounts where we're running you know two thousand dollars a day just through Dabber and it works super super well it's important to test, yeah, it's important to test um, other other formats as well and not rely fully on that because you can it can just suddenly stop working. Facebook is a crazy beast. Meta is a crazy beast. Uh, things change all the time. So we always diversify how we're targeting, but uh, that, that's a really important format. The other thing we did was really revamped their creative. So we looked at like, how can we communicate the USP or the benefit of this product uh, as well as like the look of it and and convince people that it's you know the clothes are beautiful and they want to you know they want to have them they want to wear them but also communicating the benefit because that's so key nowadays I think it's something like 80% of consumers now are shopping with they want to uh, share the values of the company that they're buying from and so because we work with a lot of purpose-driven mission-driven businesses we're we're really good at kind of thinking of ways to communicate that so it might be for instance having uh you might have your typical kind of lifestyle shot of the of the dress of the of the nice looking model in a nice setting but actually overlaying some copy or having some moving copy talking about um, their sustainability values um, and how that's um, a key part of what they're all about um, so that's what we did with that. We also, this brand in particular for this case study is not well known, right? They're not a brand that's like on the high street that has stores and everything. So they, we need to communicate to the customer like who they are and what they're all about and also build some trust. So social proof is really important when you come to these types of brands. Uh, so having quotes from customers, Trustpilot reviews. Trustpilot's a big uh, review platform in the UK. I'm not sure if it's very big in the US, but it's certainly huge in the UK. Uh, and making sure that we kind of bring in those customer type picture type images as well. So user gen generated pictures of whether it's influencers or creators or whether it's actually your real customers, but photos that have a bit more of that, um, that real kind of organic quality to them. Uh, so using all of those, those elements to to build trust that like you're not the first person to ever buy from this brand and that people can feel like there are other cool people like me that really love this brand and these products. So we tested those types of uh, those types of um, creative approaches uh, and we made sure our we tested copy as well. So it's always really key to test both long and short copy. Generally for fashion, we find that short copy works best because the images speak for themselves. But you'd be surprised how even with uh, with fashion, sometimes like more long form storytelling type copy can work really well. Uh, in this case, it was the short copy that worked. But again, we would always test everything. Um, so it also talking about the fabric, the like the nature of the product is also really important. Um, so that's what we did and we rolled that all out and in terms of the results it was really night and day what we saw for this client versus like how they'd been performing before. So we got their ROAS up to 5.8 times which is tracked which 
industry average tracked ROAS from like a huge database that we uh, that we use to track our performance against the average is less than two. So we're three times the industry average there. We had a 204% increase in tracked revenue and we had an 84% reduction in the cost per acquisition. And that resulted in a 228% increase in the number of purchases for this brand. So we were able to really scale them up quite quickly by implementing like a system of really great creative, the right types of ad formats, uh, and then monitoring and optimizing it correctly, allowing the algorithm enough data to optimize uh, and really concentrating on the numbers and seeing what was working and scaling up and jumping on anything that's working really quickly and pulling back when things aren't working. So all that in an environment where, you know, it's pretty tough out there in e-commerce at the moment. We're seeing a lot of headwinds. We're seeing not only challenges on the supply side and the, the kind of cost side, but advertising is more expensive. It's harder to track and optimize. So we're super proud of the results we got for this particular client. Those are amazing results. Tell me about how long did that take to get that? You know, what, did you turn on the spigot and, and it start working right away? What was that process like of getting there? Yeah, so the process is we spend a month with a client before we even touch their ads. So we charge them for like the first month of strategy and, you know, their old agency or if they're running it in-house continues to run their ads. And it takes us that long to formulate the plan. And I think that's why we've always had such great results for our clients is because we really spend time thinking about it. We don't just dive in. So we spend time planning out an audience strategy. We look at, you know, deep dive into what's worked in the past and what's been tested. We come up with a full creative strategy. I think that's one of the things that our agency is quite different and has always been quite different from other paid media agencies where we kind of marry the art of creative storytelling with the science of digital media buying. A lot of agencies are like really geeky on the science side, but ignore the creative and others are really creative and they don't really understand the science side. So we spend a lot of time planning out both. Um, and we have a team within the agency that specifically works on the creative strategy. So thinking about what those marketing hooks are, what the, um, what are, what are the, all the different formats we're going to use, basing, you know, looking at what creative they've already got, but also asking them to like shoot, you know, extra, um, extra assets for us as well if we don't think they've got enough. So we go really, really deep on thinking about creative. And so we spend a whole month making our plan. And then once we launch, we've got a ton of great creative to test with. We've got, uh, we've got all the audiences planned out that we can test, and then we can just really focus in on the optimization. So the first month, not touching the ads. And then we start to see results usually after about three or four weeks. It really depends on whether the first test is successful or not. Sometimes, you know, you hit a home run straight out of the gate. Other times the first tests don't work. And so you're running through them until you're finding those, what we call like the unicorn ad that you can really scale. And sometimes it can take 10, 20 creatives before you get that unicorn. And then other times, you know, you get it really quickly. So yeah, it really depends. We always say to clients, you know, you have to give us at least three months to start seeing a really strong turnaround. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing to understand too, is conveying that to clients as an agency and for, for, for people to be involved in the strategy too, because I do think that's a problem where a lot of people look at Facebook ads like, and people sell it as, I made a million dollars in 30 days. And that's where you get into a problem because you're you're forcing stuff to happen too fast instead of stepping back and, yeah, and, and the strategy aspect of it. And when you're looking at, now, you know, in that first month, when you're looking at creative for these people and you're looking at what they have and what they need more of, 
what's that process like? How are you trying to figure out what's best in a creative? Is it is it a bounce back and forth? Are you looking at competitors? Is it all of it? Totally. So yeah, we'll definitely look at competitors, but we'll also sometimes look outside of like. So our our team, our creative team within the agency are just constantly kind of scanning the industry for what ads are working, and that's not just online as well. They might see a great billboard that just has a really clever hook or uses humor in a really cool way. I had some advice recently that like the best place to look for ideas is often outside your industry, but generally we're like I think. Oftentimes nowadays, we're really going back to those kind of first principles, those kind of like Don Draper, Mad Men, like what is going to really communicate like a punch in the face, the value or the the benefit of this product? And then how can we like communicate this in a tiny square or in a little rectangle on a phone in three seconds that stops the scroll? But really coming back to that 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 great idea first is so so important and creative honestly it's the biggest lever nowadays it is the algorithms do a lot of the heavy lifting you still have to have a team monitoring what's happening so the algorithm doesn't kind of like just like lose its crap one day and go in some random direction (laughs) there's way less button pushing now and this is where my team we've really like leaned into like hiring experts who are strategists rather than like the typical agency model of having a ton of people straight out of uni doing all like all the button pushing and like you know creating tons of ad sets we don't really find that that's necessary anymore but what is necessary is being super strategic about your messaging your positioning coming up with new and unique creative ideas um and really communicating that wow factor of what makes your client stand out from the competition yeah i think you know, and that's why we, you know, videocastory.com, we focus on customer stories for that reason, because you, you can hear it and you've got to be listening to it and you've got to be looking for those stories all the time. And I, I love the fact that you're there. And it's funny you said Don Draper, because I was actually going to ask you and bring that up because back in the, the TV days, I mean, it was six months before your, your ad got out there. Now we expect our ads to be out there, what? six days <laughs> I know it's wild isn't it and I think about like how much time Don and his team would spend like drinking whiskey and staying up to like five in the morning to come up with that one ad idea and we're trying to come up with them in like you know rapid fire three a week so the pressure is high but what's amazing what we have that Don didn't have is like rapid feedback as well about what's working which ideas are like cutting through um so there's benefits to that as well it's, oh 100 percent hundred percent, but it's like, it's having that expectation of, of stepping back. And I think that's an important thing for both agencies and for anyone making ads to do is be willing to have that space to yeah, think I'll about totally. stuff and, and creative, like you said, and prep up creative and talk through it and talk yeah. through it. And you know, that's one thing. So like strategy, it's like, I'll talk to people, and I, you know, Immediately have an inkling of where to go with strategy, but I never want to talk about it right away. I want to give it a week or two in, in your brain. Yeah, no, that's so true. Like I always say to clients, like, right, I'm going to percolate on that because I know that it's like, I think that's where the brain works, right? If you put it into your kind of like unconscious brain for a while and it's wearing away processing and making sure you give yourself space to be creative. Like it's still my favorite thing in my agency is helping clients come up with creative ideas. Even though I don't do it day to day, I definitely help the team when it's like a difficult problem. And yeah, I like moving here to the mountains, to the lakes. I've like, I'm able to go for a walk, be in nature, let my brain kind of run free, be away from a screen. And that's when those amazing aha moments and those killer ads come through. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So you're just working in it all the time and trying to push it. 
you have no room for creativity. Yeah, um, totally. and, and I want to talk about your mountain journey in a second, because I think that's important. But <laughs> so this company that you helped, how did you transform their business? I mean, because we can talk about numbers, 200% in Trek revenue, uh, 5.8 ROAS, which is cool for us as marketers, but what did that do for the business? Yeah, so this business is like, they were like an early stage advertiser, I would say, spending around about 10K a month. But now they're spending, like we've now, now that we've moved on from that, when I put together this original case study, we've been working with them even longer. So we've really scaled them up now to around 50K a month in spend. And I'm talking pounds here. So add like, I think it's 1.3 or something times. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, so you know, digital advertising is the main driver of their of their revenue uh, because they're a D2C brand uh, and we were able to take them to being, a, you know, a different kind of business. You know, they have a, a scale now where they can order bigger quantities. They've got more data to work with in terms of which products are selling the best, which ones they need to order more of. They're growing their Instagram following. You know, they've grown their email list, all of this um you know, the whole ecosystem improves when you crack your, your paid media channel, your main channel and get it really working and cranking and scaling. Yeah. Yeah. It, it creates a consistency that, you know, you can invest in the future too. Um, totally. that, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you did this, but you did it all remotely. You, you said you moved to the mountains. Tell me about that. Like leaving your yeah. business and, and moving to New Zealand and, and, and being in a completely different time zone, how did all this happen? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I always had, I'm Kiwi, New Zealander, uh, but I moved to London 15 years ago and uh, my partner's British. We had a kid out there and, built, you know, bought a house, did it up. But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted my son to have at least some of his childhood out here. And uh, so when I started the agency, I actually started the agency like when I was like six weeks about to have give birth. So my son and the agency have grown together. He just started school. He's five. Um, so um, that was when I first started freelancing. And then, yeah, a few years later, launched the actual agency. But uh, so I always knew I wanted to be to move back here eventually. So I made the agency remote and that was fairly uncommon three or four years ago. Like we definitely had to meet up with clients in person quite a bit in London, you know, when we did the first pitch, that kind of thing. Then the pandemic hit and everyone kind of caught up with us and accepted that like the first meeting would be over Zoom and our team is kind of distributed globally. And we just make that part of our messaging that like we are a remote global agency. Uh, and so when the time came for me to move out here, when New Zealand like let us let us back in, which was pretty difficult, um, we moved home and uh, well, home for me, not home for my partner, but he's made it home here. And uh, and my I primed the team like so I spent a year honestly like planning for the move. Uh, hiring the leadership team I needed, setting in place the systems, reading books like Clockwork and the E-Myth and making sure that like I was removing myself from especially the day-to-day -day type functions. So having a delivery team. So I've got a head of delivery for Facebook, a head of delivery for Google. I've got a head of operations and I've got a commercial director who runs all of the sales. So I had those key hires in place, making sure that like the day-to-day -day didn't involve me. So I meet clients from time to time. With the time difference here, I work a couple of evenings a week, so I have some crossover with the UK time zone and I can catch up with clients when I need to. But generally with my team, I'm working asynchronously. So 
I get up in the morning and there's a whole bunch of slacks I have to answer and they're getting them in their evening time and they'll, you know, look at them in the morning uh, and, you know, they'll give me a bunch of things that I need to sign off or work on, you know, while they're sleeping. So it works kind of amazing. And what's crazy is I get that proper CEO thinking time. I mean, I have stretches of like four, five, six hours in my calendar every day with no meetings, which is like pretty unheard of for a CEO, I think. <laughs> I know. It's wild. Yeah, I had to learn to deal with that, actually, because I was like beforehand going from Zoom to, you know, I was getting things done in these little chunks of time between Zoom meetings. And that was quite, you know, you know, you get focused, you get stuff done when that's that's how you're working. So suddenly having these big stretches of like, what am I going to do today? Uh, it took a bit of getting used to, but now I feel like I'm really hitting my stride and like achieving a ton in that time, which is super fun and super great. What do you feel like was the key to making sure that you were successful in doing that? What well, was like the one thing if you were, if you're like, I'm going to go teach myself to do this. Yeah. I would say don't, you have to hire like senior people. Like you have to hire people that have done it before that have, um, have the experience from, you know, another business that's similar to you and that is going to cost you. Right. So I had to like take a deep breath and pay people, you know, a lot, a ton of our revenue now goes towards that leadership team. And that hits, you know, that hits your overall, what I, what I take home initially, but actually it allowed us to grow. So our profits are actually pretty steady, uh, even though we've hired that more expensive leadership layer. And I think if I'd stayed in the UK, I could have kept doing the sales myself. I could have kept being kind of the head of operations and like, you know, client services director and all those different hats, because I wouldn't have had that, that force pushing me to like, make those bigger hires, take that extra risk on in the business and go for it. So knowing that I didn't want to get up at three in the morning to meet with clients or five in the morning to pitch a client uh, meant that I just had to hire like really great people who I could trust, who could run with it. So I guess trusting your team, hiring an, you know, an A, A, A team is key and, and having that kind of confidence to actually make those hires would be my advice. Interesting. Yeah. And that's great. It's great advice because I think, like you said, so many agencies look at it as like, you know, hire someone entry level or someone that's okay, or, or that, that there's no one out there that can do it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's fantastic advice. And so, you know, and what's the best place right now to follow you? Cause you're talking about a lot of this stuff. Uh, and, and now with your 16 hours a day of freedom, I'm sure you, you're spending some time on LinkedIn. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. It's funny when I first moved here, like I was updating LinkedIn so much because like, I had all these insights and stuff to share about, you know, business and life and entrepreneurship. But yeah, so I have, um, I I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I post on there. Well, at least a couple of times a day. Uh, so you definitely follow me there. Jesse Healy on LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn slash ally e-commerce coach. Um, I got that URL a while back. Uh, and yeah, I'm, and I also have a Facebook group if, if people want to join that. So it's called the e-commerce growth community, econ growth community. You can find that on Facebook, share lots of tips and ideas in there for growing e-commerce brands. Love it. And, uh, we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes. And so what do you see now? Like you talked about the, the, the Deba ads, what, uh, what other trends do you see right now? In, in running ads and running traffic that people need yeah. to pay attention to? So I think one of the biggest trends we're seeing is like because of the fragmentation of the data and the data loss, uh, 
we are having to consolidate audiences a lot. So the traditional structure we would use, and I'm talking about Facebook now, I can talk about Google a little bit too if we get time. Um, but uh, we, we've had to, for instance, the old traditional structure would be a ton of audiences in the top of funnel and you would exclude all of the bottom of funnel from the top of the funnel. You would have, um, you know, we used to use, John Loomer used to advise this and it used to work amazing. You'd have like a, a three-day retargeting window and then another three-day and another three-day and this like sequence of messages that people were getting put through and retargeting. Those days are long gone. Some people are even advocating like retargeting is completely dead and you just roll everything into your top of funnel audience. We haven't got to that point yet with that where we think that works better. But what we are finding is we don't exclude often most of the bottom of funnel from the top of funnel anymore because what we need to do is give Facebook enough positive data points that it can optimize. And because it's lost half of its data, you have to kind of give it back to it um, by not excluding so much from each set, uh, part of the funnel. So really consolidating, consolidating like your middle of the funnel audiences to like a whole 180, 180 days, uh, lumping all of your retargeting into one big audience so that you give lots of data. And then, as I said, not excluding from the top. So that's one big trend there. Lots of broad audiences are still working well, but also we're finding interest-based audiences are working really great. Um, and again, you get creative with your audiences. So how can I find this particular type of person? So say the product's like something related to luxury coffee. You don't just do coffee interests. You find you think about what that what what does this person who really would buy expensive coffee, what else might they do? They might have a Peloton, they might like certain fashion brands. So how can we reach them without just being really specific to the product um, in a creative way? So finding those kind of coalescing interests. Um, and what we do is we tend to test like a large single interest, like a, or a theme of an interest. Uh, and then uh, if we find ones that are themes that are working, we can then lump them back, lump them together into really big audiences. Um, and the goal really is always trying to make the audiences as big as possible so that you can, again, give more data to Facebook. So that's around the audience strategy. And then on creative, yeah, I mean, it's about constantly innovating. You've got like lots of sort of mobile first, really kind of raw, rough and ready type uh, type creative working well so even just taking straight up tiktoks and putting them into facebook ads you know using like the horrible tiktok voice and making it look literally like a tiktok ad that will work as a facebook ad now um, for some brands depends on you know whether the brand is the right brand for that uh, ugc still works well it's definitely getting overused now and there's a lot of fake ugc around and customers are kind of wising up to that but we still find you know if you can get good ugc that's really uh, feels really authentic and the person is really relatable, then uh, UGC can still work amazing. Um, using lots of movement, using like fast cuts, anything that like interrupts the scroll. And again, good old storytelling. I saw an amazing ad from Mudwater the other day that if you should look it up, if you haven't seen it, it's just an incredible ad about like getting people to give up coffee. Can you imagine? How, will anyone ever do that? But that's their that's their play. And I think they do an amazing job of like convincing people that they need to do that. So um, so yeah, creative is absolutely key. It's it's the battleground for sure. And the brands that are winning are winning with creative. Awesome. Yeah, it's creative and storytelling. I mean, it's absolutely. not going to go in. It's funny because there's always this, oh, if this thing's dead, because people leaned on too many tactics instead of coming back to the fundamentals. Yeah. And and Completely. you know, story, yeah, creative storytelling strategy are all fundamentals, like we talked about at the top. Uh, and you know, 
is there when you say creative is there one specific type of creative that you're just like oh man this is working really really well might not work forever but it's working really really well right now yeah i would say the tiktok style that's kind of like a hot little trend at the moment that i that is killing it and may not forever yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it definitely feels you know it's funny because it was like two years ago people were like oh no tiktok i'm like you gotta get on tiktok and (laughs) but it's been two years of people watching tiktok and now they're used to that style so i'm sure and and there's some psychology around it too um of of that recognizable style on that feel Um, that's really really cool and where do you see the future now of our of creative is I mean, is there anything you're testing out that's different? That's a great question. Uh, I would say (laughs) it's almost like I can't predict what's going to be the next trend, what's going to be like the next thing that like is going to push aside those trends that we've relied upon. But I think we're always just trying to be different and stop the scroll. So, you know, I was, I had an ad in my feed this morning from Amy Porterfield and I honestly don't even know what it was. Like it was this hat, like it was really weird. And she, she, she knows, you know, she spends a ton. She's going to launch at the moment. Like she, they were just thinking of whatever crazy thing they can do to make people go, huh? That's kind of what you need to do. Is like get, get people to stop. If they stop, you're, you're already halfway there. And so you got to think about that. You, you definitely do that. That hook is so, so important. Yeah. Um, totally. That's why I get frustrated too when I see videos and it's like, you're 15 seconds in before anything happens. And I'm like, oh my oh, God, God, people, do people know what you're doing? I know, it's <laughs> wild. I used to save like all the worst ads I'd seen where I just, I don't even understand what this product is or what it does. Like, it's so weird. Like show the product, explain the product, explain the benefits, have a clear and unique offer you know, stop the scroll in those first three seconds, show the relevance, and then you're already halfway there, honestly. Yep. Yeah. It's fundamentals. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, totally. and that's, I mean, no offense to, to add ad awards, but I think ad awards drive the ads that don't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. It, it, we're showing off for other creatives instead of showing off for the audience that's going to buy. Um, totally. Awesome. Awesome. And so, um, you know, you mentioned Amy Porterfield, who are the people that you pay attention to when you have some free time, where where are you getting your information? So yeah, the people I've been following for years now really are, um, Molly Pittman. She's still killer at like, you know, especially around the creative stuff. She, I feel like she was really in my early days of learning. She was really, she really took my thinking a long way about understanding marketing hooks and how you communicate those creatively. Um, Andrew Foxwell is a great guy to follow in the e-com space as well. Uh, he's got a great group that um, a ton of like really big media buyers are in there, like sharing ideas and, and um, you know, uh, getting, helping each other out when all, when the going gets tough, because it is tough out there at the moment. Um, so yeah, and then Deepesh Mandalia, British guy, is an, another awesome one to follow. With you know, he just takes a really more of a kind of technical, data-driven approach, and he has like, lots of ideas around how you can use data to imp- improve and inform your ads. So, like I said, marrying the ad- art of creative storytelling with the science of digital media buying. So I follow a few people to kind of keep me going in both directions. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll put links to all that in the show notes, as well as your LinkedIn and your Facebook group, and. Uh, tell us about working with Webtopia. 
Sure. So Webtopia, oh, as a as a client. Sorry, I was thinking as a as an employee. Uh, so working with Webtopia, yeah. So we, uh, as I said, we would like uh, put together a whole strategy first, and then you know roll out our campaigns and optimize for you. But uh, we uh, we we really only work with brands that are at a certain stage. So we want to work with you when you've already got you've proven product market fit and you're ready to scale up. And we're there to help you kind of go from that that stage where you're maybe making like 50K, 100K a month and get you really scaling up to multiple seven figures. Uh, so that's kind of who we're looking to work with. And we really want to work with brands that are um, that are purpose-driven, that are really making the world a better place in some way, that are selling products that are sustainable, ethical, because that's what we care about. And when we care about stuff, we can do an amazing job. So that's what we're all about. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Thank you for having me. It was amazing. That was a lot of fun. And thank you all for taking Jesse and I on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. Facebook.